Well, welcome back to the sixth week of Your Modern Family. And maybe you've forgotten, you're thinking it's just about married people raising kids, but I want to tell you, this series is for everybody. We're all trying to become great sons and daughters to our Heavenly Father. That's the goal of life. That's, that's the purpose that God has for us. And if we can become great sons and daughters to our Heavenly Father, we'll be amazing sons and daughters to our earthly parents. And along the way, we've been focusing on, well, how does that relate to the raising of our children, to the relationships we have at work? Every time you open God's word, even if, if, in, uh, the, if the topic is directed to a particular stage of life, you can hear God speak and it can apply to you because all the principles you'll hear today are gonna be especially helpful. If you lead a company, if you manage people in your job, if you have anyone that reports to you, you need to hear this message today. You see, we're trying to raise people, we're trying to lead people to be, to be successful, to be grateful, to be respectful, to have integrity, to do what they say when they say they're gonna do it, to be on purpose. We want that in our little kids. We know that'll lead them to success in life. We know that if we could lead that way in our business, in our, in our work worlds, we would be successful that way. Uh, how does that happen when you're raising teenagers? <laughs> That's probably one of the hardest parts of life. And in some ways, we're very teenage-like as it relates to our Heavenly Father. Teenagers have been given it all, and at certain periods of their life, because of brain damage, they forget that. <laughs> and uh, I remember being a teenager. I remember uh, thinking those thoughts. If a teenager ever says to you, you've never done anything for me, you know, and that parent is about to lose their mind at that moment, because what do you mean, look at all the things I've done for you? And God's the same way with us. We often uh, forget all the things that he's done. Now, it'd be wonderful to be calm and wise and to be uh, perfect in our behavior and respond correctly in every moment when it comes to leading others, but it's not that easy. It's, it's hard to have self-control. It's hard to get a grip on yourself. We, we especially, as it comes to leading our teenage children, how do we keep a grip on ourselves, our older children, how do we keep a grip on ourselves and adapt in our style because each one is so different. You can't just take a couple of rules and apply it to all your kids. They're, each one is a unique person. Each one of your employees is a, has a different personality and a different history. So it's gonna take a lot of wisdom and a lot of maturity, and where do we find that? Well, I called in the big guns today, okay? Uh, my father-in-law is David Coston. His greatest contribution to life was his middle daughter, Laurie whom I married and have been married to her for almost 24 years. Can you believe it? So this is, uh, this is an amazing man who I have been under his care now for all these years, more than 25 years. And uh, he is, it's amazing, he's with us today. Usually he's speaking in churches all over the country. He's pastored some of the largest churches in our country, thousands of people in every church. He leads an organization called The Cry of India now which is uh, reaching out to at-risk children in India, providing food and education and child sponsorships. Many of you are already sponsoring children through Cry of India. I'm sure we have information at our desk today, but it's cryofindia.org if you wanna know. But he's a great leader and he's a great father. And uh, I could go on and tell you some great stories this morning, but when it comes to raising teenagers, Mine are still teenagers, so I'm not going to declare to be the expert. I want you to listen to somebody who has done this very well and who has led organizations very well. 
And he's going to come talk to you today from the wealth of his experience, but also as someone who's been in ministry for nearly 50 years. Would you please welcome my father-in-law, David Costin. I'll tell you what, you couldn't ask for a better son-in-law than Darren. And I'll tell you a little story about that during this message this morning. This message has a lot of interesting little stories in it that'll they'll either make me or break me. They'll, my wife will either crucify me or we'll get, we'll get through this together. But you know what? It's an honor to be here because I have to tell you, Darren and Larry have done an absolutely fantastic job of raising their kids. I know. I've watched. And I've seen them. Nicholas is now 21. Jordan is graduating from high school this next week. And Lauren's coming up. And as a parent, you stand by and watch and you're really grateful that the next generation is doing it better than you did. And that's the way it should be. You know, there's a little story that's told that after God had created the heavens and the earth, he created Adam and Eve. And then he started to give them a little bit of positive instruction. And after he'd given them the positive instruction, he said, don't. And Adam said, don't what? God said, don't eat the forbidden fruit. Adam said, forbidden fruit? I didn't know we had forbidden fruit. Hey, Eve, we have forbidden fruit. No way, says Eve. Yes way, says Adam. God says, do not eat the forbidden fruit. Why, says Adam. Why, says Eve. Because it will hurt you. It will kill you. So do not eat that fruit. A few minutes later, God comes back, and Adam and Eve are having an apple break. And God is just ticked off at this time, and he comes up and he said, didn't I tell you not to eat the fruit? And Adam goes, uh-huh. Then why did you do it? I don't know. Eve says, Adam says, she started it. I did not, did too, did not, did too, did not. God says, all right, time for punishment. And here's the punishment that I have for you. I have continued to help and work with you, but your punishment is this. You will have children of your own. <laughs> and so the pattern has been set that you have children that do the same things. But there's a reassurance in this wonderful story, and it's this. If you have persistently tried to give children wisdom and they haven't taken it, don't be too hard on yourself. If God had trouble raising his children, why do you think it's going to be a piece of cake to raise your own kids? It's tough. I heard one woman saying, she said, my husband and I are trying to make a decision as to whether we are going to have a dog or a child. And we haven't decided yet whether to ruin our carpet or ruin our lives. <laughs> raising children is not an easy process. Parenting is not a rigid science, but a dynamic process that requires flexibility and wisdom. And you know, the problem that so many of us have is we follow the patterns of this world that have been passed down to us by our parents, by doctors, by society, by culture, by magazines, by books. But we need to come back and take a look at what God says about raising kids. We vacillated so often between rigid rules and no rules, discipline and no discipline, closeness and distance, parent or, uh, parent or friend, freedom or boundaries. But Proverbs 20, 24, verses 3 and 4 says, Through wisdom a house is built, 
And by understanding, it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. There are three key words in that. Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Catch those words because they require skillful information and skillful participation. And if you apply the skills, then you will have the results of precious fruit. For as Pastor Darren said, the end goal of life is to be a great son or daughter to your heavenly father. And if you can be that to your heavenly father, you'll be that to your earthly father. You want your children to grow up and bless you. Proverbs chapter 31, 28 says, your children will rise up and call you blessed. I don't think anybody has children that decides, I'm going to raise a rebel. I just want to raise somebody who's just going to raise all kinds of havoc in this world. I want somebody that's disobedient. I want somebody that's going to get into trouble. I, no, no, we don't go in that. We all go into parenting with the desire that we're going to raise children that will rise up and call us blessed. And you want that relationship with them long after they've left your house, maintaining a good relationship with your children for the whole journey of life. That's why I like that word grip, grateful, respectful, integrity, and purposefulness. That's what you want in your children. But you know, parenting works best when we are loving and understanding and calm and consistent and wise and mature. But you know we're not that way all the time. How can we do the necessary part of training, which means our love must sometimes be tough and our actions must sometimes be strong without going overboard? How does this work, especially with teenagers? Teenagers will drive you crazy. Welcome to raising teenagers. Prepare for a lot of eye rolling, emotional outbursts, and thoughts of running away. And that's just from the parent's standpoint. <laughs> and then the kids come around and they know how to hit your hot buttons. And that's when you have to exercise grace. You know, they'll come to you, you've, you've sacrificed, you've worked hard, you've given everything you can, your life, your goals, your purpose, and everything for them. And then they say, you don't love me, you've never done anything for me. And that's about when I want to believe that phrase, you want to eat your young at that moment. It's sort of like, unbelievable. You know, our three growing children did something very special for Nancy and I. Nancy and I had a, Nancy had a birthday just recently. And uh, they said, look, Mom, Dad, we want to take you away to Florida. So the five of us, our three kids and Nancy and myself, went away for three days to Florida a few weeks ago. And it was fun just to be with the kids. We had a crazy time, and we'd get up in the morning. We'd have breakfast till noon, you know, sit around the table in our pajamas and talk. And one of the conversations came around to they said to us, look, we want to ask you a question. Yeah, what is it? You know, as parents, you feel like on the spot. What was the most fun stage of us in our growing up years? Without hesitation, both Nancy and I looked at him and said, your teenage years. And they looked at us totally surprised. No, I just want you to know, nothing's more challenging and more fun than raising teenagers. You see, it's the excitement of seeing their development. It is the excitement of seeing their turmoil and their frustration. And it's a time of great communication. But there's a reward and great memories as you raise them. And so Paul the Apostle in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, talks to us about raising our kids and wants us to have a good journey in this process. And he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. 
Two things he says here. One, use proper discipline. Two, use proper instruction. Let's peel that apart for a few moments this morning and take a look at this. Using proper discipline. In other words, he says, the discipline that you use don't provoke anger and bitter your child by the way that you treat them. And he addresses it to fathers because you know what? Historically, fathers have been the, the, the enforcers in the household. And I know that that's changing with single moms. And God bless you. You have to be father and mother to your kids. And, and that's really tough. But I remember in my own household when I grew up and I did something wrong, my mother would say to me, just wait till your father comes home. Oh, I thank God for the grace of time between when she said that and when dad came. It was a good experience that time. But I know that when he walked in the door, my mother had a memory like an elephant. She never forgot. And she would tell him, and then I'd see that look in my father's eye, and I thought, oh, boy, here comes the boom. It's coming down. But my dad was really a wonderful disciplinarian, and, you know, he'd sometimes spank me, and he'd say to me, this hurts me more than it does you, and I want to go, you got to be kidding me. You know, I never believed that in my life, but I did as I grew older as a parent. But my father used always wisdom in directing his love and discipline towards my life, and I want to say to you, don't discipline in uncontrolled anger. Sometimes we get angry at our kids because we have issues, And the issues we have, we see in our children. And we want to beat the devil out of them because we can't beat the devil out of us. And we're angry at our kids. And it it comes out sometimes in the emotional explosion that takes place. We have to check our motives when we discipline our kids. It's important to understand the destructive nature of anger. Anger is a dynamite like this that pulverizes the soul. It's often expressed in an emotional explosion without clarity. You know, this kind of anger destroys your body. Anger is far worse for your body than anything else. It can create heart attacks, high blood pressure. It can create stress. It can create sickness. This anger disintegrates relationships. You know, words are thrown like weapons, and they can hurt and destroy How often I've heard parents say, my mother or my father said to me, you're stupid and you'll never amount to anything. And those words continue to ring and ring and ring in the mind of the child in their 20s, their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, their 60s, all through their life. And anger distorts your understanding. It hurts your ability to make good decisions. After you've cooled off and you've reacted like that, you feel like a fool. And you know why? Because you were a fool. And anger leads to more anger. It brings resentment and so forth. So Paul says, don't discipline that causes anger, but discipline with calmness and clarity and consistency. Now, you need to understand, anger is an emotion that we all have. Many Christians feel that you should not be angry. Wrong. Anger is not a sin. The sin is how you express that anger. Ephesians 4, 26, two chapters earlier from the verse I read you a few moments ago, Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Unfortunately, what happens is our anger leads us to uncontrolled anger and we apply the wrong discipline, misdirected. When we get angry, God wants us to be angry at the wrong, not the person. 
The correct expression of anger is a slow-to-rise anger directed at the wrong. You see, God has that kind of anger. He's slow to rise. In Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in mercy. I always say this. This is the best expression. Don't blow up, but help them grow up. Don't blow up, but help them grow up. God doesn't destroy us. He's calm. He's patient with us, and he disciplines us. My son, John, when he turned 16 years of age, we as parents made a dumb mistake. Can I confess? You know, we all have to be able to confess our mistakes. We bought a second car. It was a new car. It was a hot car. It was a great car. It looked like a Mustang. And we bought this car, and we thought to ourselves, oh, this would be a good car for John to drive. My wife will drive it. John can drive it. But we knew eventually John was going to be the one mostly driving it. And that's mistake number one. Do not buy your children new cars. I'll explain that a little bit later. So we bought this new car, and everything was going along fine until one day my wife calls me at the office. She said, David, you need to come home. John's had a car accident. He's not hurt, but the car is pretty badly damaged. The anger's beginning to rise. It was a, been kind of a little bit of a rainy day. And John had taken the car to go see his girlfriend, asked mom for permission, was going to go see his girlfriend. She reluctantly gave it. She said, I knew I shouldn't have given it. And he gets in the car, and he does his typical teenage thing, turns his music up real loud. And it's an automatic gear shift, and he's pounding on the gear shift as he's beating the music out. And he's going down this road, and he knocks the gear shift into reverse. Needless to say, the car spins out, does a whole 180 degrees, hits a small pole, goes through, goes through barbed wire, down a fence and over, and it's sitting out in the middle of the field. And so as I'm driving home, I drive by the car. And as I see this car, now I'm doubly ticked. Every window in the car is broken. Every surface on the car is scratched. Can you imagine taking a car through barbed wire fences? There's dents all over, and I'm looking at this car. And by the time I'm getting home, my anger is about up to here. And I walk in the door, and I have a neighbor by the name of Mike Waller who's across the street. And Mike goes, now, Dave, now just calm down. John's not hurt. I want to say he will be in a moment. <laughs> I'm going to kill him in a moment. And then John says to me, Dad, it's not my fault. It's a one-car accident. <laughs> How do you tell me it's not your fault? And Mike is standing between me and John, and I'm standing there thinking, oh, God, you know, I'm ready to destroy this boy. You know, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, but I calm down. And you know what I learned? I learned in the process, first of all, I learned to count to 100, then to 1,000, and then to 10,000, and sometimes it's gone as high as 100,000. But I had to take space and time to think about what was happening, and I decided not to punish, because the punishment was enough that was going to happen, first of all. He was going to be without a car for quite a period of time, because it's going to take six weeks. This will tell you the date. It cost $7,000 to buy a brand new car in that day, and he did $5,600 worth of damage to it. So you can imagine that they almost totaled it. It's going to take weeks for it to be fixed, and he's going to be without a car. Secondly, his insurance is going to be dropped. 
And he says to me, I'm going to call the president of the insurance company. This isn't fair. I said, call him if you want. It's not going to make an ounce of difference. And he had to learn. And thirdly, he understood that he had lost our trust in this process. You see, the Bible tells us about the discipline of the Lord. God's discipline is always good for us that we might share in his holiness. It's not enjoyable, it says in Hebrews 10 or 12, 10 and 11. It's while it's happening, but it's painful. But afterwards, it brings about the peaceful harvest of right living for those that are trained by it. You see, as parents, sometimes we need to discipline with calmness and clarity and consistency. Correction at a time in a child's life is important, but how you correct, you don't take a 15-year-old and spank them. That's going to do destructive anger in their life. But find an appropriate way to reinforce the rules by bringing the right pain. Take away the phone. That's the worst thing you could do. Take away the phone privileges if they're not doing their schoolwork. Say, I'm confiscating your cell phone from you. Oh, that's painful. That's sudden death for kids today. Or limit their entertainment because they're not studying. Or take away their driving privileges if they're being irresponsible. Or have them cancel a date if they can't get in on time. Let them feel the pain. But I say this, don't react, but act. God says to us, use the proper discipline. That's what Paul's saying. Treat your children so you don't provoke anger. By using the proper discipline. Secondly, instruct them as the Lord instructs you. You see, your child is a person and God does not want you to break the spirit of that person. It's a beautiful spirit in a child. But he expects you to train that spirit. And to train them as the Lord trains us. How does he train us? Let me give you seven things that we experience in the training of the Lord in our life. Number one, flexibility. Flexibility is necessary in a life of a child because each is different. They're at a different stage. They're a different child. And lack of flexibility causes resentment and causes anger. Children are a lot like chickens. They need room to squawk. They need to be able to lay a few eggs. They need to be able to flap their wings, and they need to be able to fly the coop if necessary. Otherwise, one day, if you're too rigid with them, they will explode and you'll wake up wishing that you had been a little bit less rigid in, their bring, in bringing them up. You change your styles with the changing stages because that's how the Lord does in our life. He changes his style with us. I like what John 8.36 says, If the Son shall make you free, you'll be in free indeed. God gave us freedom, but with those freedoms, he gave us boundaries. And he changes his style in working with us. He wants us to be free, but he wants us to be responsible. And as we're more responsible, he gives us more uh, responsibility at the process. Luke 12, 48, when someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even much more will be required. I remember when I was a new Christian, I prayed for money. And God miraculously gave me money. As I grew older in the Lord, I prayed for money, and he gave me a job. He started changing his style of development in my life. When I was young in the Lord, uh, uh, I, he, he taught me how to trust him and how to wait before him. 
And he talked to me in a different way. Sometimes he talked to me through the Word. Sometimes he talked to me through a person. Sometimes he talked to my heart through the Holy Spirit. He knew how to change his style as to where I am. And if that's the way God is with our, our heavenly family, he wants us to be that way with our earthly family. Parents who are mature, secure enough, they give ground. They provide space. They listen more than lecture. They release the tight, right, tight control. They remain calm and they are affirmative in their attitude with a good sense of humor as they raise their kids. For teenage years are some of the most adventuresome years of their life. Give teens room to fail. It's like flying a kite. You know, there's the pressure of the wind against the kite and you're holding the string. That kite is never going to climb unless you release that string slowly. If you let go of it, the kite will fall. But if you let it out slowly, it'll climb higher and higher. And as they grow in their life and they show signs of exerting their independence, be flexible with them as they share responsibility. Do not throw away your friendship with your teenager over a behavior that has no moral significance. My wife taught me this. She'd say, you know, if it's not going to make any difference five years from now, so what? Some of us are willing to go to the cross for stupid things with our kids, and we need to instead allow them the flexibility. Be strong and reasonable. I like what Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14 says. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender, compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows that we are weak, and he remembers that we're dust. We had a rule in our home that 11 o'clock on date nights, which was Friday and Saturday night and Sunday night, 11 o'clock was curfew. That was it. That was established in my father's house, and I grew up under that. And it wasn't 11 o'clock by my clock. It was 11 o'clock by his clock. When his watch struck 11 o'clock and I wasn't home, he was standing on the front porch waiting for me. And I know I'd come home and I'd say, well, Dad, I was stuck in traffic. And, I, and he'd say, well, you need to plan ahead. And you need to figure out if there's going to be traffic at that time. But 11 o'clock is what I mean, 11 o'clock. And so that was established in our home. And, and he used to always say to me, and I'd say it to my kids, you know, the reason, Dad, can't we stay out till No, you can't stay out till midnight. Why? Because after 11 is when the mischief happens. Till 11, it's okay. And that's why we set the curfew at 11 o'clock. People get in trouble after 11 o'clock. So they didn't like it, but they understood it. And that was the way it was. But then... There would be the flexibility because they would come and say, Dad, you know, we're going to be at such and such a thing. We're going to be with the youth group, and then after the youth group, we're going to this and so on and forth, and I won't be able to be home till 11.30. Okay, if I know that's who you're with and that's where you're going, then I'll trust you, and you can be home at 11.30. And you know what? Sometimes I'd go and check and find out if that's what they were really doing. Because that trust level, not because I didn't trust them, I wanted to make sure that they were not telling me a story. But flexibility as they began to grow. God gives us flexibility. Secondly, be committed to them. Instruct them as the Lord instructs you. How does the Lord instruct you? Hebrews 13, 5, for God says, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Your child needs to know that you are committed to them always. I remember when I was turning 13, my dad took me aside and said one of the most powerful statements to my life, and I said it to my kids too. He said, David, I want to tell you as you move into your teenage years, if you ever do anything, if you kill a man, 
if you cause a girl to become pregnant, whatever you do, I know that that isn't what you want to do. I know your heart, David. But David, I will always be with you. I am your father, and I will stand with you. Wow. What a load came off my shoulders as a teenager. I did not have to work for my father's approval. But instead, I knew he was committed to me. And I knew that I would try my best never to do anything to disappoint him in that process because his love was a commitment to me. And then my wife added another dimension to this, and I say this to the guys that are in the room. When Larie and Heather began to develop as young ladies, and you know, guys, we feel a little awkward as we're raising girls in the house, and we kind of back off, and we kind of think, you know, we need to keep our distance. But you need to understand, they don't understand why dad who romped with them and hugged them and so forth is now keeping his distance from them. And my wife said to me, David, don't you do that. You hug them, you romp with them, you do what you did with them all the time that they were growing up because if you don't give them that affection, they will find it from somebody else. I said, wow, thanks, honey. And so I did, and sometimes I'd hug them. They'd go, oh, Dad, and I'd say, that's fine. I just want you to know I love you. And I'd hug them whether they liked it or not. That's just the way it was. And you know what? We hug each other even to this day because we're committed to one another. Not only be flexible, be committed, but be involved. Be involved with their life. I like Psalm 37, 23. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their life. God remains involved in all the details. Adolescence is a time that the kids take ownership for the principles that you taught them, and you have to give them room to make decisions and to discuss the items with them and to work out the ideas. They might not always verbalize it, but here, there are four questions that they're continuing to deal with. Number one, who am I? It's an identity struggle. They know who their teachers are. They know who their parents are. They know who their friends are. They know a lot about everybody else, but they haven't figured out who they are, and they need your input and your reassurance to help them discover who they are. Secondly, what attitudes will I choose? This is a struggle for responsibility. You know, they have, I want my freedom, but I'm not willing to pay the price. Dad, I want the car, but I, I'm, I can't pay the insurance. I can't pay the gas. You know, that's your important time to be able to share with them. You know, I want to have a party, but I don't want to clean up. You know, I, uh, I, I want supper, but I'm not willing to help cook it. You know what? You need to teach them and train them. You help them develop areas of responsibility. Whose rules will I respect? Obviously, this is a confrontation with authority. You know, they're always watching and evaluating and looking and deciding what the rules are. Because you've had the rules, but they want to know, are those rules apply to them? And why does it apply to them? And which lifestyle will, will I adopt? This is the struggle for conformity. You know, this is where the church becomes extremely important because this is where the church works with the parents together to build a godly young person. It reinforces that, that time in their lives. These children need to know that you're involved, and involvement costs you. I'll never forget, John would come home from a date at 11 o'clock at night, and Nancy and I'd be in bed, and I'd hear this knock on my door. I knew he was in, and he'd say, hey, Dad, can I talk? I kind of like to go, really? 11 o'clock at night? But I'd get out of bed, and we'd go down to the living room, and sometimes we'd talk till 3 o'clock in the morning. 
Why? Because it was his time to talk, and I needed to make the time to talk. It was the time that I could put the principles, and I could do the teaching, and I could, and the craziest questions of why would come up. But then I'd be able to reinforce the boundaries, and he'd begin to understand. Be involved in their life. Fourthly, be authentic. If you're not sure about something, admit it. If you're afraid to ask, say so. If you don't know the answer, say, I don't know. If you're wrong, confess it. If your kids ask you why, don't go to the silly parent answer, because I told you so. Explain the why to them. Our youngsters deserve to know the truth, even though it may be difficult and hard. I learned this a very interesting way. Many years ago, Nancy and I went through a very hard time. God spoke to us about resigning a church. Our daughter Heather was in college at the time, and God spoke to my heart and her heart in the same day. So we said, well, we're going to put our house up for sale, and if the Lord sells it in seven days, then we're going to take this as from the Lord in six days the house sold. And it wasn't a market that did that, usually about 180 days before the house would sell. But in six days it sold. So we took it as from the Lord and we resigned the church and left. Now I had no employment. And we moved, our, we moved back to the state of Washington from California at the time. And I had no employment. And I was aware as I'm looking at my finances that I had to make some adjustments. We had just bought Heather a new car. We had bought her a, a new Honda from a dealer in the church. And he would given us a great deal. And so I called the Honda company and I said, you know what? I'm no longer employed, and I cannot afford to make the payments on this car. Would it be all right if we turned it in and you forgave the debt? They said, absolutely fine. So we turned the car in. I'll never forget calling my daughter, Heather, and saying, Honey, you got to take that new car we gave you, and you got to drive it down to the Honda dealership and turn it into them. They're going to take it. And that was just at the end of school, and she came home, and we said, Honey, I don't know if we're going to be able to have money to send you to college. It was a tough, tough time. We were really going through it tough, but we were obeying the Lord, and we just kept saying, we're going to trust God to lead us. He led us this far. He'll trust, we'll trust him out of it. This lasted three to four months, and then we finally took another church, and, and in that process, God blessed us abundantly. So we said to Heather, you can go back to school. We can pay the bill. Everything's fine now. Never forget what she said. She looked at me, and she said, Mom, Dad, she said, I've watched you through this very difficult time of your life. You were very transparent about what you were going through. And I learned watching you to trust God because I've seen God carry you through, and I will never forget. I will always trust God. You know why that's particularly significant in her life? Because God brought into her life and her marriage a special needs child. And if there's ever a person that needs to learn to trust God, and know that God is faithful. She's had to deal with that through 30 surgeries that Chelsea's had. You see, God knows what he's doing. And if we're parents and we're honest and we're authentic, fifthly, be positive. You know, the first thing we often say to our kids when they ask us is, no. Dad, can I sleep out in the backyard tonight? No. Why? Well, because there's mosquitoes out there, and we have to leave the back door open, and, and you just never know what's going to happen out in the backyard. It might rain and so forth. You know what? 
Just back off. That's the time to lighten up. If it's not going to make any difference five years from now, say yes and let it be yes. I love the fact that in 2 Corinthians 1.20, God says all the promises of God are in him. They're yes and amen. God said, yes, you can have a relationship. Yes, you can be healed. Yes, your nature can be changed. Yes, you can meet me. Yes, I will provide for you. And God says, set the standard in your home by saying yes. Be forgiving, number six. Don't make a big deal out of failure. Be forgiving. I had to forgive John for the car accident. But I had to forgive Larie for her car accident, and I had to forgive Heather for her car accident. (laughs) My lesson was, don't buy your kids new cars. Give them old junkers until they've had their first accident, and then, then they've learned. But I had to be forgiving. I love what 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from every wrong. We must forgive our children. And lastly, number seven, be prayerful. I love Matthew 6, 6. It says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who's unseen. Then your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I'll tell you what. We prayed very, very hard for our kids. Now, Pastor Darren asked me to share this story, so I'm putting the blame on him. It's a story about Larie. Larie was a wonderful daughter to raise, a great girl, very sweet always. But when she got into high school, she met a young man that was not a believer. And it was just a friendship, and as the friendship went along, Nancy and I were somewhat concerned. We were happy that she had friends in high school, and he, Jason, became kind of a good friend of hers, and they started to go out, and they started to date. But every so often, my wife would get a little bit of anxiousness and say, David, we've got to do something about this. You know, this is going to grow into something a little more serious, and so we'd talk to Larie, and she was sweet, and say, I know, Dad, don't worry, it's not. And, you know, this went on. It didn't go on for three months or six months. It went on for two and a half years. Now, two and a half years, as you see your child dating the same person exclusively, you know that puppy love begins to grow. When, when You know what happens. When puppy love grows, you grow up and lead a dog's life. And so I, we saw this puppy love beginning to grow here in Lurie, and we're concerned. We know that this is not the fullness of what God has for We as the parents can see this. We love Jason. He's a nice guy, but this is not the right person. And what do you do? How do you interfere? And so we decided to pray, pray, pray. And for two and a half years, we prayed. So often we want to say something, but we'd bite the lip and we'd just pray because now she's 16, 17 going on. And you know, it's getting to that stage in life and she graduates from high school. And she goes off to a Christian college, and we thought, oh, good, this is going to break that relationship off. But college was only 45 minutes away, and she'd come home and date Jason on the weekends. And we're going, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. We prayed. I'll never forget the day she called on the phone. Hi, Dad, this is Lurie. Hi, honey, how are you doing? How's school? Great. Oh, Dad, I met the most wonderful young man. I want to put my hand like this over the phone. Praise the Lord! (laughs) I didn't do it so she could hear it, but my wife's ears perk up, and and we're standing there. 
yes, his name is Darren, and you know, he's a missionary kid. He's a wonderful Christian. He's a great guy. Oh, wonderful, honey. I'm so glad for you. You know, we're just calm as can be. Wonderful. We're so glad for you. Well, will we see you this weekend? Yeah, I'm coming home to date Jason on Friday night. I said, okay, great. Come on home. So she comes home on Friday night. She gets ready for her date with Jason. She goes out. They're going to a movie. And she goes out, and she's home 20 minutes later. And I said, uh, why are you home? She goes, you know what, Dad? Jason isn't the right one for me. She said, you know what? Darren's the right one. And, you know, I just need to, I need to break it off with Jason. This is two and a half years. And I'm standing there with my teeth in my mouth going, I'm swirling and I'm going, God, I thank you. She brings Darren down to meet us. And we go to the door and throw our arms around him and get down and almost kiss his shoes. <laughs> we want to go, son, welcome to the family. You're a part of this now. What did we learn? Intercede in prayer for your kids. Because what you can't do, the Holy Spirit will help you. He is the one that's come alongside, and he'll be your partner in helping you raise your kids. You see, remember the object of parenting is not to alienate, cause to rebel, manipulate, or use. But the object is to grow them in the Lord and grow them to be healthy children. Absolutely nothing is more important on earth when the chips are down that you have a relationship with your family. To those of you that are teens here today, let me say to you, we as parents make many mistakes. We're not perfect, and we need you to extend grace to us as we extend grace to you. Because I'll tell you what, we're on the job learning. No one's ever really trained us for this, and we make the mistakes. But unfortunately, we have to learn together. Would you forgive us for our mistakes? And to the parents, if you get caught up in the squirrel cage of a busy life, if you're frustrated and you take your frustrations out on your kids, slow it down. Your family deserves more than your leftovers. They deserve you, your flexibility. They deserve what God can do for you. For it will pay off great rewards. And to those of you that have blown it, you feel that you've blown it, your kids have left home, you say, I wish I had done things differently now that they're adults. Let me tell you, you can make up for lost time because you never quit being a parent. Long after they've left home and started their life of their own, you're still parenting. But again, change your style. What do you do? Here it is, three. Love them constantly. Release them from your judgment if they don't obey your rules, if they don't do your lifestyle. I don't care what they are. They are your child for all of life. And love them constantly and tell them that you love them. Release them from your judgment. Secondly, pray for them continually. Now, when I say that, it's not like this. It's not like you're invited to their house and you're around the dinner table and you take their hands and you say, we're going to pray for the meal. And dear God, I thank you that I'm with Jerry and Sarah today. I thank you, God, that they've invited us in their house. You know, Lord, that they don't know you. And you know what wicked people they are. And you know, God, how they need to get their lives corrected. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would convict them and bring them. No, no, that's not the way to pray. Go into your closet and pray and zip your lip. Be quiet. And lastly, Spend time with them regularly.
keep that close relationship with them constantly because you are always an influence in their life for God. Remember, the Holy Spirit is your partner. He has been with every family from day one, and he will help you raise your children. Father, I come now in Jesus' name and thank you for this wonderful congregation. And thank you, Lord, for your word and your care and your love for us. May we respond appropriately to our children. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.